are in this third and final week of this series called Failing Forward. And uh, really the last two weeks we've been talking about how we view failure. That we said that it's, it's inevitable. For every single one of us, we are going to fail. And it's about how we deal with it, how we view it, when it happens. And in week one, we shared about how God invites us back to him, even after we've messed up, screwed up, sinned, failed, to receive grace and mercy every single time. When our tendency is to run and hide, God says, no, 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 why don't you come back? I've got mercy and grace for you. And then last week, we shared how failure will become either a graveyard where our hopes and dreams go to die, or failure becomes a springboard that will, where we can learn from our failures and move us forward into the plans and purposes that God has for us. And so today, in this final week, I want to talk about something that impacts, I think, every single one of us, and it's what you do with the residue of failure. What do you do with the residue of failure and how it tends to stick to us, and at times it tends to define us? Have you ever had failure in your life that you couldn't shake off? Uh, Have you ever felt stuck in that mental space of being reminded over and over again how bad you messed up? Have you ever felt like a failure, and somehow that failure has defined you and will define you forever? That's what we're going to talk about today. So right inside of your bulletin should be some message notes. And if you haven't downloaded our app yet, you should do that. Just go to your Apple uh, or the App Store uh, with your Apple or Android device and just search Riverway Church and you can download the app. You can take notes. All of our events are on there. Lots of great things on there. So make sure you do that. So uh, speaking of failure, this, this story came to mind earlier in the week as I was preparing for this. But in my very early, early days of youth ministry, I'll never forget, it was a Sunday after church, just like today, uh, when I got a frantic phone call from one of the student leaders in our group who was just driving two blocks north of our church in a residential neighborhood, and a little boy had darted out, and she hit the little boy. And so I, I immediately got off the phone, jumped in my car, got over there uh, quickly, and here was the mom holding the little boy, uh, and there was cars parked along the road, and you know how it is when you're driving and you can't always see, and, and the little boy, I don't know if he followed a ball, I don't know what it was, but he darted out right in front of the car, boom, uh, hit this little boy. So ambulance was called, and he was bleeding, and, and we had no idea how this thing was going to turn out. And I just remember uh, this girl, she was just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing, saying, how could I not have seen him? How did, I, how did I not see him? How could I have hit him? How did this happen? I mean, she was just beside herself, just grief-stricken. And, uh, you know, as the following days went on, we found out the boy was going to be okay. And, uh, you know, it was just a miracle how he was okay. But I know for her, that rattled her for a very, very long time. She was really devastated by it. It was a real difficult moment. And, you know, I think to our own lives, for each of us, that we can relate in some way, shape, or form. Things that we have done that have left us maybe with regrets, or things didn't go uh, as the way we had planned on it, or, you know, we got into situations, we made the wrong decisions. Uh, sometimes those mistakes didn't quickly go away. Or maybe things that we still struggle and fail in, and it seems at times to have defined us. And I think those things specifically Uh, can impact us and at times keep us stuck. Keep us stuck in relationships, keep us stuck in our faith, uh, keep us stuck in many, many different ways. Thinking those decisions have kind of become the label of our life. Right, that this is now who I am. Um, That the sum of our lives, that the sum of the rest of my story will forever and has to be defined by failure 
or by my mistakes. And so let me ask you, if you ever had a label of failure, what would yours read? Those moments that seem to kind of not go away, that keep coming back, what is the residue that you find over your life that you can't let go of? Uh, What mistake or habit has given you the feeling of failure and defeat that maybe you've allowed to define you? Uh, What about your past has left you feeling insecure or fearful about your future? See your first fill in your notes. The problem with the residue of failure is that it impacts how we view everything and everyone. And that's true, and you know that. The residue of failure, it impacts how we view everything and everyone. And because of it, because of that residue, it's changed our lens. It's, high, it's hard to find peace at times. It's hard to find joy or hope for a new chapter in life. Yet Jesus came to change that for us. That we don't have to stay in that place, that residue to hold on to. And I don't think there's a, a more glaring example of this than the story of the Apostle Paul. Uh, maybe you've heard about him, uh, but before he was Paul, he actually went by Saul. And he was a Pharisee, he was a religious leader at the time who hated this new message of Jesus and was actually, if you can imagine this, persecuting and killing any followers of Jesus he could find. If you decided that you were going to follow Jesus, Saul was coming after you to imprison you or kill you because he thought he was doing religion a favor, that if we can stomp this movement out, if we can end it, people will be better off for it. And he thought the followers of Jesus need to be stopped by all means necessary, even death. And here's an example of this great man of faith named Stephen who was stoned to death because he was following Jesus. Look at this in Acts 7.59. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What an amazing statement. I mean, think about this. You're being stoned to death, and that's the statement you give. What does it remind you of? Right, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right, this amazing spirit out of Stephen, it says, when he had said this, he died, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. And believe it or not, Outside of our American bubble, all around the world today, people are still giving their lives for Jesus. Places where it's illegal to be a Christian, people are being persecuted, people are in jail, people are losing their lives on a daily basis. And you think, what kind of person would take another person's life simply because of what they believed? I'll tell you who. Saul. This is the kind of man that he was, and he had no plans to stop trying to imprison and kill all the followers of Jesus. And so we pick up this story with Saul in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and it says this, that meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. 
So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, which is the movement of Jesus. That's what it was called, the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And so here's what Saul did. Saul went to his boss and said, hey, boss, the Christians are beginning to scatter outside of Jerusalem because they know that persecution is here. They're fleeing for their lives. Would you give me permission? Would you send letters ahead to let them know that I'm coming, that they should be able to expect me, that when I'm there, that I would basically have the right to arrest anybody that I so choose. And I want to bring them back to Jerusalem for prosecution and punishment. And he got his approval. And here he went with these letters. And in verse 3, as Saul was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. I mean, you talk about one of those freak out moments in your life. You're just minding your business. You're walking. You've got a mission in in tow and all of a sudden this light is so bright, it blinds you. You fall to the ground and the voice comes back and says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. I mean, if you ever needed a wake-up call in your life, if Saul ever needed a wake-up call, I think he just got it. Right? How bizarre that this would happen to him. And it says next that the men who were with Saul stood speechless. For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. He and his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. For three days, he is so overwhelmed by this experience that he can't bring himself to eat, to drink. I mean, he physically can't see anything. He was completely freaked out and didn't know what was next. And so as you can imagine, God's not playing around, right? And as we read this story, we're thinking, oh, finally, God's got him right where he wants him. And now Saul's going to be the one to pay for everything he's done. I mean, God, I mean, finally, you know, I mean, he is going to have to own up to everything he's done. God is certainly going to end his life or punish him for his sin and for his failure. So as Saul is sitting in this room for three days, he's blind, hasn't eaten or drinking drink anything. Verse 9, it says, now there was a believer in that same town, a believer of Jesus, a follower of Jesus who was in Damascus. His name was Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision. And he said, Ananias. He said, yes, Lord. He said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's actually praying to me right now. And I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again, right? So if you are Ananias, believe me, you know who Saul is. Word has traveled. And so Ananias responds the exact same way that you would have responded if you were in that situation, right? Would you have just said, well, sure, absolutely. I'll just go over and have a conversation with Saul. Would you have done that? Absolutely not. 
And so the very next verse, he says, but Lord, exclaims Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the, the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Hello? God, I, I don't know how I feel about what you want me to do, because here's what I know. If I have a face-to-face encounter with Saul, it's probably not going to end well for me. And allow me to be selfish for a brief moment, God. I don't really want my life to end right now. And verse 15, but the Lord said, I mean, this is shocking. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Whoa, wait, wait a second, God. You want this dude to be your chosen instrument? I mean, I can think of a lot, a lot of other guys with far less murders on their rap sheet. I mean, God, I think you may have been confused with a different Saul. I'm not sure that this needs to be your guy right here. So Ananias went. He was obedient. He found Saul. And he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. I mean, crazy, right? It makes me think of that hymn that we've sung over and over and over our, our lives, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. And for Saul, I mean, this was the real deal. And I'm sure people were skeptical at first that maybe he's just trying to be the Trojan horse, right? Maybe he's just going to kind of infiltrate our system and then he's going to wipe everybody out. He's going to learn our, our secret understandings. But Saul has had a true life-changing encounter with Jesus. And you think about it, I mean, who else could say to all these people, I used to be one of you. I used to think how you guys thought. I used to think that this wasn't the right way. But now I'm telling you, I have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, he really is the son of God. I mean, imagine this transformation that has just taken place. This would be like going from a Packer fan to a Viking fan overnight. And instantly to be on the right side. I mean, think how, I mean, from murderer to preacher. Think of this transformation. Your next fill-in, what could change the residue of failure in Saul's life like this? Only the power of God's love. Only the power of God's love. I mean, think if anybody had residue in his past or in his life, it was certainly Saul. And Ananias, right, even questions God, but he says, listen, he's my chosen instrument. I mean, think about this. It's powerful. To be chosen by God. 
And with enough love to forgive his past, God erases Saul's residue and creates a whole new story for him. And Saul, whose name was then changed to Paul, ended up writing much of the New Testament letters that we have today and was the primary leader of the early church. I mean, mind-blowing stuff. And so let me ask you a real honest question when it comes to the, the residue of your own failure and how it keeps us stuck. Do you truly think that God would ever do that for you? To love you, to accept you, to forgive you, to use you, despite the residue of your past or present. Because the truth is, even for many of us that are followers of Jesus, even if you believe one day you're going to go to heaven, many of us, your next feeling, many of us don't really believe that God loves us enough to change our labels or our story. Many of us don't really believe that. That maybe it's good enough for other people, but he wouldn't do it for me. Because if you really understood my mistakes, if you really understood what I was struggling with, if you truly understood it, there's no way that God would accept me. I mean, after all, maybe he loves us, but it's got to be conditional, right? And maybe you're in that spot today working so hard to cover up the residue of your failure. And that is why we try to seek out our own change or we seek approval from others around us because if they can accept us, then maybe we can accept ourselves. And it's almost like we have a hard time knowing who we are in spite of our failures or in spite of what others have said about us, in spite of the residue of the poor decisions we've made or the spot we've ended up in life. I'm telling you what, that's a difficult mental place to get out of because it's almost like you remind yourself of your failure all over again and it's like it just, you just never escape it. And this understanding who you are in spite of your failures, in spite of what others think about you, is such an important place to get it. And I think that that is what God is inviting us into today. That that is the most important thing in my life, right? I already know that he loves me. I know where I stand with him. And so all of this is secondary. None of this will truly define me. That it truly doesn't matter what others think of you. And just like the Apostle Paul, who after coming to faith in Jesus... He began writing these letters that we have today, 2,000 years later. Amazing how God has preserved these for us to learn from. But he began to write this letter to the church in Colossae, and this is how he begins the letter. And thinking about his past, thinking about the residue of his failure, I want you to see how he opens this letter. Paul says in Colossians 1.1, Paul, he's introducing himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Isn't that beautiful? Not on my own merits, not on what I've done or haven't done, not on my mistakes, not on my successes, but simply I'm called an apostle of God. I'm a child of his because he willed it. It was a part of his plan. It's not my doing but God's. Paul would say, I know I don't deserve it. But a question was, how was he able to get there mentally? Knowing that he had put people to death, I mean, how could he get into this mental space without constantly feeling like a failure? And he gives us the answer in Colossians 1, 24 through 27. And I hope it brings hope to you and I as we live in those same spaces. He says this, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating 
in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. And this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. In other words, this is for everybody, not just for the Jews. This is for everybody. And here's the secret, guys. Everybody listen and pay attention. Christ lives in you. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. He's decided to take up residency inside of you. That in spite of your failures, the promises that God has for you, he is teaming up with you so that you can fulfill the plans and purposes he has for you despite your past. And so your next fill in the secret to erasing the residue of your failure is to believe the promises of God for your life. That is how you get there mentally, to believe the promises of God for your life. Because if you can truly believe that, then things begin to change in your heart and mind. To believe what God says about you. What does he say about you? Because for many of us, we don't know. We think that he's just there to judge us or condemn us. But what are the promises that he has for you? Because you may have failed and even keep failing, but what does God say about us? What does he see in you? And this next verse in Ephesians 2.10 is so powerful. In fact, I want us to read it out loud together. Can we all do this? Can we all read this together? Here it is. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We're his what? Masterpiece. <laughs> Paul, hold on. You may have the wrong guy. We're his masterpiece? I mean, how could that be said of us with the residue of failure all over us? And masterpiece, I love this, it's your next film. It actually means a person's greatest piece of work. And that is how God views me. That's how he views me. As his greatest piece of work. And you sitting here today, you are God's masterpiece. Yes, even after your failure. And it says here that he creates in us anew again and again and again. And that's why we learned two weeks ago when he, when he said that my mercies and my grace for you is new every single morning. Every single day when you wake up, it's like starting afresh with God. And he says, I want to create something new in you so that you can do the good things that I have planned for you. We learned that last week in Jeremiah 29, 11. When the Lord said, I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. I've got plans for you. And that must be a part of our mindset to realize the promises of us, of God for us. Your next feeling, you see, this is our promise. God loves me unconditionally and also lives in me. And this is so powerful, don't miss this. And as a result, only what he says about me can remain. Only what he says about me can remain. The residue of of the past failure cannot remain. That cannot define me. Only the one who made you and continues to form you gets to define you. 
Let me say that again in case somebody just missed that because that, that might have been worth the whole price of admission this morning right here. Here it is. Only the one who made you and continues to form you gets to define you. That's it. He's the only one that can bring definition into our lives. In fact, the promise is again and again, God says that you are, and this is in your notes, that you're alive, that you're forgiven, you're accepted, you're chosen, you're his child, free, complete, loved, adopted, redeemed, a masterpiece. And it's something we have to get into our mind and our spirit. And so on the way out today, you're going to get a little card that just talks about the promises of God about who you are in a little verse that goes along with it. And I want you to put it somewhere this week where you can see it and remind yourself all week long about who you are in Christ and what he says about you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, and then we're done. Look at this. This means that anyone, everybody say anyone. Say to the person next to you that includes you. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. It's begun. It's not finished. It's just begun. We're not completely there, but it's beginning in us. What an amazing thought. Just like Saul on that Damascus road, God says, I'm going to define you in a whole new way right now. And the residue of your past will not stay there to haunt you, but you're going to learn from it, and now you're going to become my chosen instrument. It's a new definition. It's a new chapter. And so let me ask you a real honest question. What failures have you let define you? Almost like they're attached to your resume everywhere you go in everything you do for the rest of your life. Let Christ speak something new over you today. Because the truth is, God wants to write a new chapter for some of you. But you can't start a new chapter until you finish the last chapter. And for some of you in this space, as we get ready to pray and close today, the greatest prayer that you could pray is, God, help me close that chapter. God, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to let you close that in my life. And let a new chapter begin. In my mindset, let me believe what you say about me. Let me de be defined by the truth of your word and what you say that I am. The promises that you have for me. That's one group of you. That's going to be your prayer today. God, help me to close that chapter and I'm awakening a new chapter. I won't let it define me anymore. And maybe there's another group of you. That you've been on this faith journey but you've never made Jesus Christ the leader of your life. Maybe you've never asked him to forgive your sin. And I'll tell you what, if you want a new chapter and a new story, just like Saul, it all begins with saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm tired of me leading it. I want you to lead it. And that's just not a prayer. It's not just about going to church. This is about saying I'm giving you leadership in my life and what your word says that I'm going to live my life. I want to begin to move in this direction. I'm going to apply the things I need to apply. I'm going to walk away from what I need to walk away from. God, with your strength and with your help, I'm going to start becoming more like you. Just like that verse we read. It's beginning a new work in us. And so in either group, can we just close our eyes all over this room and just for 30 seconds, 
between you and God, whether it's the residue of failure or saying, God, I give you my life. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, your love for us is so immense and so great. Thank you for loving us just as we are. And for every person that just quietly prayed, I give you my life, would you wrap your arms of love and grace around them in this moment? May they sense a new beginning. For those that prayed to end a chapter and to get rid of some residue of failure, God, may your grace just pour in. May the truth that every single one of us are masterpieces to you, may it lock hold in our hearts and in our minds today. That even when we try to listen to the lies about ourselves, and it's the residue of failure talking, may your promises be louder in our lives that you've redeemed us, you've called us your own, that you have a plan and a purpose for us, that you love us unconditionally. I thank you, God, for the truth that is resonating in us. And may it go with us all week. Tomorrow morning when we get up, God, may we look at that list of promises and may we remind ourselves again of who we are in you, that we wouldn't be defined by anything else but by what you say about us. In Jesus' name.